Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today, we have a packed house, uh, starting with our friend, freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Hello! And we also welcome back our friend, Rowan Kaiser. Previously on 3MA, a seven, Fraser? (laughs) (laughs) Already, man. This is the intro. Uh, And we're also joined by Giant Bomb's Austin Walker. Hey, how's it going? And finally, we've got the Game King himself, Sean Sands. Hello. All right, so what could possibly bring us together uh, in such numbers on an episode of Three Moves Ahead? Could it be a 4X space game, the, <laughs> the, the most beloved of genres on Three Moves Ahead? Uh, yes, this week we are going to be talking about Paradox uh, Development Studios' Stellaris. Uh, which is, as the name, as the, that introduction suggests, sort of the paradox take on the 4X uh, Space Empire Builder. And uh, Fraser was off for a few days in uh, Windsor, playing and taking part in the Paradox multiplayer event around Stellaris, while the rest of us plebeians mm-hmm. uh, have been playing at home uh, with with the AI. Uh, so, you know, Fraser, let's let's start off with you because. You just had this uh, Stellaris immersion experience. Um, for people who are more interested in the space forex side of things, who maybe don't know what what paradox really means in the context of a strategy game, uh, what you know, what what does a paradox take on on, on a space game mean in in Stellaris's case? So it's got all the sort of key pillars, the forex pillars they're all very much intact it's very much a 4x game um but it's expanded so you've got these little moments of paradoxness where you get like events that it makes it feel like you're almost you're role-playing a galactic dictator rather than just being a sort of galactic administrator uh so there's there's a sort of a narrative working behind the scenes at all times where you're really you're creating the story of your empire rather than purely trying to create the best and biggest empire um, so there's that sort of um, you don't have to adhere to these sorts of objectives that you so often find in 4x games where you you might get a mission in Stellaris but it really is just about kind of immersing yourself in the galaxy and finding little maybe primitive races to spy on one moment and abducting them and making crop circles and dabbling in intergalactic diplomacy the next. Um, So it it still should feel very familiar to anyone who has played either a grand strategy game or a 4X game um, because they're already very similar genres, but this sees them kind of combined. And uh, Sean, I know that you've sort of been our uh, scholar in residence when it comes to European Universalis. Um, you know, I think the other day when we were talking a little bit about this game, uh, we, we, were, we were discussing whether or not this was sort of EU in space. And that was sort of my very first cold, you know, first reaction uh, to it. Obviously, it's not. Uh, but I do want to hear, like, for people who are coming from the more paradox side of things and, and, and are used to games uh, games like that... Uh, you know, where does, you know, is, is this, do you think this is, this more fits in the classic vein of, of Paradox games? Or do you think this is a little more of a, a, a standard genre work? No, this is, this is much closer in my mind to standard genre. I mean, this is much closer in, to like a civilization than it is um, certainly something like Hearts of Iron 3. 
you know, and, and I think that's sort of been the overall trend. The, the the vector paradox has been going with their recent title system, make them a lot more approachable. But um, this, th there are EU elements. Like it's easy to go from a paradox game uh, into this one. You'll recognize the layout, the interface, the way it thinks about you know resource management and expansion and diplomacy. All those things feel recognizable and similar um but the, in many ways they're kind of they're kind of taken down to sort of i don't want to say down a level because that implies there isn't density and interesting things to do i think the numbers are all still being crunched in the background um but they are they they're definitely much more approachable the the interface uh, feels fundamentally more like a civ game or of a master of orion game um, you know, where there are, you, you click a button to go to a, a menu or, or to a screen and there's lots of, there's like five big things on that screen that are immediately obvious rather than, you know, a spreadsheet of 400 little things like you might get in some of their previous titles, uh, which was a little bit of a transition for me too, right? It's, it's, um, I, I, I find myself moving further and further away from this concept of it being EU4 in space. You don't get the layers and layers and layers of menus in, in Stellaris. Right. Um, there well, are, they're still there. Few, still, give them a few yeah. days to make some expansions. <laughs> <laughs> There's still certainly lots of lists and menus and options, but uh, they don't, you know, you don't have like five up on the screen just in yeah. layers. It's really interesting to see people who have lots of Paradox experience come to this game, or not even only Paradox, but Matrix game stuff. If you've spent a lot of time with distant distant worlds, maybe, and come to this, like, oh, well, this is simplistic. But if you're <laughs> coming from, let's say, the the currently early access Master Masters of Orion, or from Endless Space, uh, or from Sins, like, oh, what is all of this? That is mm -hmm. that has been what I've seen. The the uh, impression is from people who've only played other Space 4X games and not uh, kind of grand strategy games before. God, who does that? A lot of people. Like, that's the strange <laughs> thing, right? Like millions of... Okay, maybe not millions. Hundreds of thousands of people at least. <laughs> 20 people. Yeah. So... You know, I, I think we've we've all been really looking forward to this game for for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think some of us here have been kind of lukewarm on the space forex uh, for a while. Uh, Austin, uh, you and I have had some therapy se group therapy sessions on the show about it. Uh, Rowan, I believe we've uh, we've also been in the same support group from time to time. And then want to design also... some ships, Rob? Oh man, well we'll get to that in a, in, in a minute. Uh, although I find it less offensive here. And Me then, too. of course, the, there's been the excitement of seeing like Paradox get away from uh, like history sims to something maybe a, a little more open-ended. So uh, let's, let's dive into it here. Uh, how well do you think this is... Well, before we, before we start dealing in absolutes, let's talk a little bit about like, what you were maybe hoping from, from a game like this. And then did Stellaris actually deliver it? Uh, Austin, why don't we why don't we start with you? So, so for me, and, I, and I'm basically just summarizing things I said back on a previous episode of, of 3MA and 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 here and there on other podcasts too. One of the things that made me fall out of love with the space 4x genre was was the the limited perspective on what successful play looked like. Um, uh, the once I came to Paradox's grand strategy games and started building my own 
uh, uh, goals and, and my own objectives and, and had, had a dense and, and kind of lush systems for play, for cool things to happen, for little mini narratives to, to unfold. And I mean that both systemically and, and in terms of pure prose writing. I wasn't satisfied with I want to conquer the, the, the galaxy anymore, whether that meant conquer it with my ships or with my, my economy. Um, and so my hope with Stellaris was I hope to play uh, a variation on the 4X genre, the space 4X genre that emphasizes um, kind of the smaller moments of what galactic management looks like that produces those same sorts of stories and not just the my big ships fought those big ships and won in a climactic battle. I want those too, but the thing I really wanted from Stellaris was to to almost embody me in in, in a way that other four X uh, space four X games specifically had failed to do for a long time. And I think it did that. I think it succeeded in that way. It doesn't mean I don't have any complaints, but like moment to moment, I'd rather be playing Stellaris than any other space four X game that I've played in the last decade, um, because of the way that it that it puts me in the world and makes me think about the other factions as, as having a sort of character beyond a sort of character that seems to, to change and react to context and, you know, fuck man. All right. So there are these space turtles to the North of my main galaxy and (laughs) we were never going to be friends, right? They're spiritualists. We were materialists. Uh, They were, they were individualists. We were collectivists. We were never going to be friends, but we went 300 years without fighting. And finally, we both ended up in big federations. And you know what happens when you wind up in big federations. Someone throws a stone. (laughs) There's a territory dispute. And finally, we went to war. And the first thing the big space turtles to the north said was, the great weave of life is unraveling with each assault a people makes on another. Let us hope this conflict is a short one. And like... (laughs) Damn. Man. Yeah. Whoa. Like, Yo tripping. Wow. Suddenly, and and we went to war and we didn't really invade each other. We fought all of these other battles all around it. And this is me projecting. I don't think that their AI model is like, oh well, because this this group actually still has a positive like, maybe it does. They had still had a positive relationship with me, even though they were at war with my federation. I didn't fight them on that near front at all. Um and that felt really cool. And that's not the sort of experience I would get from playing you know, any of the the many children of of Masters of Orion. So, Well, and this is one of the ways it really is a paradox game, because, I mean, I think in that example, and a lot of the examples that I identify with my own game, there is is sort of an expectation that you're bringing something to the the table Mm. as the player, right? It's not going to... It's not going to spoon feed you everything, not just in terms of game mechanics, but in terms of sort of what your experience is going to be with it. Like it's going to it's going to put all the pieces on the table. It's going to give you something that you can sort of vector your own story through. But you're going to have to bring that sort of willingness to find to to be part of that story, the story of of your empire. And and it's interesting because, um, you know, when I think of a game like Crusader Kings 2, which is just so dense and rich. I mean, like you can't you can't help but create the stories of those games. Um, I didn't like like Stellaris actually seems to be asking more from me than that, right? It's not yeah. uh, it, it's there once I find it, and once I find the thread that seems to be connecting why I created this race this way in the first place and how they're acting. Um, but you kind of I, I I have to I feel like I have to role play a little more to begin to get that that feedback back from the game there's definitely a lot of like all right now what's happening here why am i suddenly losing 
a ton of energy credits right. this month and like and what is the story there and sometimes it's sometimes it's i can't figure out the answer to that i for for 2 weeks i was just losing a bunch of money that's weird and then sometimes it's like oh i opened my borders to to new migrants and the new people who moved in they they migrated to ocean planets because there were no ocean planets in their home empire but then they got here and didn't like that i like gave civil rights to robots and so now they're on strike and like oh that's a cool little story that emerged but it does not feed you that in a way um and maybe it could do a better job you know i think we talk about spoon feeding as a pejorative a lot but maybe there's a middle ground there to where like it's just about highlighting that 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 story that's already there or or foregrounding it a little bit i think if we're talking about like how this relates to paradox games one of the main things that you notice when you start playing a another paradox game is you get a ton of notifications and then you can customize those notifications yeah. in stellaris you can't the you the notifications you get are the notifications you're going to get for the rest of the game and some of you them can turn are, them off but that's it yeah some of them are super useful and some of them it's like why am i not getting notified of these really important things um and I feel like this is like a paradox is trying to make their games more accessible. So they're taking away like all of the stupid, silly notifications and only having the important ones. But I don't always agree with what they think is important. Um, the biggest, the biggest simple notification issue that I have is that it'll tell you that enemy or AI empires have declared war. It won't tell you when those wars end and what happened. So you have to try to figure out what the story, what the simulation is trying to do there. And if you have not been like paying full attention to the borders around the rest of the galaxy, you might have no idea. Like apparently something is happening somewhere else and that's it. And I th that makes a lot of the game a real struggle to, to get at um, what Austin was talking about, the idea of these stories existing. And, um, I do like to be able to kind of, if there's a problem, I'm told usually there's a problem. I'm just not told why um, or, or how this problem has arisen. But I'm actually, I mean, sometimes it's annoying and I just want to get right to the source of the thing and, and fix it. But it's nice sometimes to be able to take a sort of tour around my massive empire and, and, and see where the, the problem is and then figure out, what it is and then figure out a way to solve it and it it's you know done in stages so i feel like once i fix that problem i've not just seen a notification fixed something i've actually explored my empire and i come away a lot kind of understanding how it works a lot better than i did before i got that very vague notification it's not perfect there's there's definitely a lot of times where i'm just i need more information it's not yeah. giving it to me um i think there's a middle ground to be found somewhere there is so much in terms of what I expect from a Paradox game in terms of letting me drill down on that information or pulling it in front of me that isn't available here. That's my biggest frustration right now. There's no map mode for, like, show me everyone who's in my alliance and where they are in the map. Like, just, or just give me, give me a color code of every alliance that's active right now or every federation. There's no way for me to say, who has Teldar? One of my, one of my factories needs Teldar. I don't know who has it. Let me scroll through the entire map, click on every faction, and, and ask them if they have it. Oh, wait, they don't. Oh, there's some. Let me go send a ship over there. And, like... I don't know. There's no power graphs. That bugs right. me. Like I don't know I don't know how I'm doing in relation to anything except if I click on every single enemy. The the map overlay is is definitely the thing that I would 
like to have. And it's kind of it's bewildering in a paradox game not to have a range of buttons that changes the map. <laughs> um, and this became a real problem actually in in our multiplayer game in in London because. Um, the color of your empire is determined by the primary color of your flag. Yeah. It just so happened that yep. about 50% of us chose red. <laughs> oh. Oh. No, that, that, that says a lot it, about the people who were there, by the way. But, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Red's also the default. It is, yeah, it is also the default. Um, so, the, yeah. the issue that says even was... more about the people who were there. <laughs> yeah. the, the problem was that at first it was fine because you've just got these little blobs uh, of territory. But as we started expanding, I ended up brushing up against like three other red empires so when you zoom out it looks like my empire is doing bloody well but actually you really have to divide that um and it's a, it's a minor thing it never caused me to um m like make a poor decision that never happened it never negatively affected anything other than you know my enjoyment of looking at the game uh it, it became a bit weird and i'd have to peer and be like is that the border right there. It's like there. perceptual yes, it maintenance is. that you have to pay. Yeah, to, yeah. To and like... it's, it's a split second, but those yep. split seconds add up, especially if you're going to be playing it for a long well, time. This and is such a player. mods will fix this, or and there have been uh, apparently there are things that they have taken into account. So, for instance, if you actually choose a red flag, and the empire right next to you is also chosen a red flag, they will tweak the color a little bit, um, or it should. Um, in my experience, I haven't actually seen this, but this is what Paradox told me. They, they, there's a slight shade difference, I think, or it mm. just might be an illusion from staring at it and hoping. But um, <laughs> I, I had like three green empires, and one of them seemed a little olivey, and one of them seemed a little like sea green. But that that could have just been hope. Well, speaking of presentation of information, this is such a minor beef, but it came up in a really crucial context. Uh, the, 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 the galaxy map is a little bit like, a little bit like, pers like shifted. Uh, there's a little bit of like perspective yep. put on oh, it. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to mm -hmm. tilt it yep. to really see yep. exactly. There's so many times that you're yeah. like, this is in my borders. No, it's yep. not by no, exactly. <laughs> I had, there was this system that was just jam packed with like, mm -hmm. it, there were like three strategic resources and a, a shit ton of just like mining resources as well. Like it was, there was no habitable planet in anywhere in there, but it was just like a bonanza of just raw materials that you could get. And I was just like, holy shit, we gotta go. And I raced <laughs> out there and like planted this like chain of frontier uh, outposts that expand your borders. And I got my guys out there and I captured it. And I go to send in and I and I pissed off a lot of people doing that because it was like it was in this little um like triangle of three empires and I kind of I sort of gerrymandered my empire in there as the fourth guy and was nice. like got it and uh I go to send in my construction ship and of course it's not within my empire borders and I look and it takes me four times to realize that no the because each the, the little um the, the the little like 3d stem connecting the star to the to the plane of the map was actually just like four pixels up Yep. from the edge of my borders and that entire thing the last like 20 minutes i uh, of play had basically been for nothing based on a misreading of a map 
See, the, the one way to avoid that is just hover over the system before you do anything, because yep. if it's in your borders, it will say it's in your territory. I mean, you shouldn't have to. You should be able to look at it and see. Um, and maybe the default map view should really be that flat one rather than the tilted one. Well, I mean, in that little... So there's the little hexagon, right? All the all the stems yeah. connect ultimately to a those hexagons that are on the same plane, but they're really they're really hard to see. Like in one sense, I think they're there to avoid taking, uh, or or they're dim to avoid pe taking people sort of out of the moment, out of the experience. Um, but at the same time, like you say, this is ultimately you know we are playing a strategy game, and you know that having that data and and, and this is you know I, I think most of all. Pretty much all my complaints fall under this same sort of heading of, boy, if I just had that information that I that I feel like yeah. I would be used to and expecting in the, in this scenario, um, it would it would be much better. And it's often the case that, that the sort of information we're talking about, uh, I'm saying this because I, I can imagine a listener uh, who is saying who's screaming at at their their MP3 right now saying. The point, you know, uh, uh, the vagueness yeah. is the point of it. A lot of this information is actually available. It's just a matter of, of foregrounding it in a way that's clear. Like, again, you can click on an empire to see if you are, if you have better technology than them. But right. you can't pull up a list of every empire to see who has the best technology. You could do it. You could build that list if you wanted to. It would just be a huge pain. You can move the map to see what will fall inside of your your. Uh, your you know your your power donut that's a phrase that I just came up with your borders <laughs> borders good is the word I meant power but a power donut. <laughs> uh, but but you have to move the map to do it I, I would love if, again if there was just a map mode so just let me hold down a key to like pull the hexes up from being kind of mm -hmm. in the background to being in the foreground bold them make make them clear yeah overall it feels like paradox was a little bit uh, did a little bit of like Twitter curation on information <laughs> available to you and. I, I'm not sure their decisions were necessarily the the best ones, uh, but you know, sorry. What is what what uh, what's your point, Ron? Okay, like you guys are saying, the information is an issue, and like I was feeling that when I was at 30 hours, you sweet summer children. But it's not the information. This game is not very good at having the things that make you want to play it, like. This is not an information issue. It's that the information, when you find it, is not interesting. You get plus 10% to whatever happiness on one tiny little planet out of 30. Like, who cares? Well, but this is the thing that the game 30... wants you to go on to go on to care about. And it's like, why am I micromanaging these five unhappy people on this one planet when I have this huge empire where nothing is happening? How is that different to sort of any other grand strategy game where it's percentages and numbers? Because that's all they are when you take away the context. The important thing about Stellaris is the context where, yeah, that 10% happiness might not really matter to you and your giant space empire, but actually finding out why that percentage exists, why it's maybe uh, because there's some sort of like racial tension on your planet or something else that you might have to deal with. And it adds this flavor and gives a sort of makes the, the galaxy feel a little bit more alive. It's all flavor, though. There's nothing underneath that. There's nothing that, like, builds up, like, okay, cool, these two races on this planet are kind of not happy with one another, but this doesn't mean that, like, my grand—this doesn't mean I have a goal in the game. 
This just means like maybe if I build one building here, I'll raise that 10% happiness. But I still, I have played this game for 80 hours almost, and I don't really get what the point is. I mean, like, I... this is, this, and this is a consistent problem that I had growing. It's like, is it me? Am I the problem here? Uh, is it that the game isn't telling me the right things? But Austin no, it's is, that... is Rowan the problem here? Uh, he might be uh, in that in that the like what is my goal here thing is, is the fact that I, that that's an open book for me to fill something in is why I like this game so much uh, and because it gives me the tools to to like color that in in different shades. Um, for me, my current goal is like slowly breaking my race's dependence on slavery. Uh, and it's a long and arduous process that involves going from being these like, you know, not xenophobic in in trait, but xenophobic in practice uh, culture that has had alien slaves for centuries to slowly genetically removing the trait um, decadent from my main population units, uh, while also slowly integrating other alien species into my culture across these different places, dealing with the the rifts that integrating them has actually caused because of the different like uh, ethics drift that happens. Um, and like, to me, like that's, that goal is, is really meaningful and interesting beyond just, I want to expand my borders. And it, and it's not just coming from, you're right. It is just 5% this 10% that, Oh, these people are, are spiritualists. So they don't like materialists. But to me that, that flavor is actually built on the back of a really complex web of, of mechanics. But I, it's, they're not mechanics that manifest in an interesting way. This oh, is my issue. Okay, so, so, I have okay, not, so here oh, is... Hold on. I, I have played okay. for 74 hours, and I have never seen a rebellion. Like, these... My... I have, like, only had to even try to stop a strike, like, twice. Like, these people are theoretically unhappy. They have all these things happening, and within a Paradox game, I expect negative consequences, unforeseen consequences from things like you're describing, and they're not happening. I'm not I... getting unhappy citizens doing anything except occasional sabotage it's not a crusader king's issue where if i have an unhappy vassal i'm going to face a civil war it's nothing happens they do have so, that does happen though I mean, it, it, demonstrably it, I, it hasn't happened to me and i have played a shit ton of this game so it happened to me within the first 10 hours i i <laughs> so there was this group in the to the north uh, so the Space Turtles were two groups to the north of me. In between me and the Space Turtles were this group called the Rontor, who were space crab people. Um, and they were spiritualist uh, xenophobic. So they were like, we want to convert the entire... Everybody's sinners. The whole galaxy is sinners. We want to convert them all. And so I declared war on them because pff, fuck that. Uh, but I didn't want to kill them all because that felt weird. So I tried to... So I vassalized them. And after about 50 years, I tried to integrate them into my population um, and after I did that, they all started striking and like tanked my economy and continued to build towards from strikes to riots. Uh, and if I had let that continue, that would have continued until the rebellion. But I did, I, I, they didn't get to rebellion because what I figured out was if I resector them, they will lose their political. If I gerrymander them, they will lose all of their political sway. So I broke them up so they couldn't have any sway. I put them in three different star sectors so that they wouldn't be able to unify their political power anymore. So, like, it does happen. I, I guess it sucks that it didn't happen for you, but, like, it, it's a thing I still deal with constantly. So, when you uh, create a race, and, and there are races you can play that are pre-built, but why would you want to do that? Um, so, when you create a race, one of the things that you have to decide is what type of government uh, your race is going to be ruled by. 
Um, and there is a, a sort of two-part wheel, two rings, basically. Um, and they have sort of different ideologies. So you might be materialistic or um, ind individualists or really into military stuff. And then you've got two levels of each of these kind of ethical identities. Um, so you've got where you're fanatically militant or you're just normally militant. And in the most basic way, they, they just give you sort of bonuses, um, a few negatives, and they help you kind of get an idea of, of who your species is. And you select two. So you might have collective materialists or like militant spiritualists. Um, but what I think is quite cool is, is once you actually start the game with these identities, it refers to them a lot. So if you're playing like a militant spiritualist species, then you are the, the kind of the names that all your uh, like generals and things like that have or your leader, that's all going to be kind of determined by that. A lot of the flavor is going to be determined, the language that the game uses to explain certain situations. The, and the it also determines empire. how... Yeah, things like that. When you're cust when you're doing like random empire names, it might be like if you've got like a religious one, it will be like the Holy State, sort of the Holy Dominion, stuff like that. Um, and then it also informs how a lot of other factions will view you. Um, so you know they rub up against each other, and they might be like, "Well, you're militant, and I'm a pacifist, so that's going to cause a lot of problems when we're chatting around the table." Um, so it goes on, it, it's right from the beginning you choose these and it kind of goes on to inform a lot of the game. And each individual pop or your, your population, which represents like a large number of, of citizens, will also have that identity too. So it's not just your kind of government, it's the individuals living in that government, but they are able to change. And certain situations will actually change uh, their ethics, which can create a bit of instability in, in your government. Uh, for instance, one thing that happened in, in my game recently was we, I sent a bunch of colonists to colonize an Arctic world, uh, which had not been habitable before, but I'd researched the technology. Um, and because of the genetic augmentations that these, uh, these citizens had, they started to adapt and evolve. And then they started actually digging into their own bodies and changing themselves. So they started <laughs> gaining new traits and new like ethics so i'm basically like open to all aliens my my faction's like a xenophile faction they love everything alien these guys now the race are called saurians and these guys are called saurian mutatus or something like that um, so they're mutants they are xenophobic so i they actually went to war with the regular saurians and wiped them all out Wait. there's not a regular oh, saurian no, on saurians? this planet hmm? Aren't yes, there are there's Saurian, Saurians. So they went to war with who? Your people? Yeah, on their planet, on Wait, my they planet. They ethnically cleansed your own empire. They ethnic well, on this one planet, basically. What, the, how did this happen? What did it say? <laughs> so the nor it started off with the, the um, I got a message saying that they'd started to like augment themselves and it created tension yeah. on the planet because you have the regular Saurians and the mutated ones. And they started actually getting more and more violent, both groups. So there wasn't so like a good you got group this and a bad by group. messages. Yeah, like, this by messages, uh, but it actually actually affected the planet. So yeah. it actually affected the economy of that planet. Wait, are we saying messages um, or event chains? Event, it's 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 an event chain essentially. Okay. Um, uh, it came up in like notifications about what's happening on this world, um, and then one day I just looked at it 
and there wasn't a single regular saurian. And here's the thing, um, around that area are some quite choice planets, so I started colonising them, ha not realising I'm colonising these worlds purely with the mutants. So I have now a whole sector of space oh my God. filled oh. with these mutants who are entirely different this from is the my rest shit. of my species. <laughs> that single thing is kind of like why I love this game. It's, well, the, it's, well, this is... This is cool because it's written. The writing in this game is so good, and especially in the early yeah. game, you get all these. But that was driven by the game, right? But it, yeah, exactly, and it had a natural effect on numbers. These people are now completely right. different. They have a different identity, and then they react differently. So they're quite like miserable right now because I'm all like, "Yay, aliens!" and they're horrible space racists. So it has this, re and the more they that I use them to connoisseurs, and I'm kind of. I want to add to the drama, so I'm happy with them now like going out. I've got them colonizing other worlds because I want to just see how crazy this will get. If, if, like, because on every planet they go to now, they're the only ones there. So there's an entire sector of space dedicated to mutants. Well, th this feels like it's going back to sort of the Europa Universalist 2 thing where you have all these event chains that make interesting things happen. And this feels like a thing that Paradox has tried to get away from in their recent games, particularly CK2 and EU4, where they want to have the game mechanics drive these things. And I, I really like the writing in this game. But this was mechanically driven. This, this happened it was mechanically it was initiated, though, yeah, right? That's yeah. kind of the thing. Is like exactly. A threshold was passed, the event triggered. I think I see what Rowan is saying, too, is like, this didn't totally happened dynamically because there was heavy assistance from an event chain that fired and yeah. then your own sort of gleeful playing with matches watching the galaxy burn reaction see, see i had i had the event chain start i i got a planet that just suddenly was yabrek mutatis and then nothing like i just have this race this like sub race within my empire that um, is slightly better suited for whatever planet it was on. It didn't. It didn't actually turn into a story, written or within the game. It was just like this. This sort of happened, but. But I think that's um, fine too. I mean, it didn't. The, I, so the event yeah. chain didn't kick off. But that means that like you can start up another game and it might and it will. You know, there's a surprise there, mm -hmm. or it might. Or, um, in my new game, it might not. You know, I'll get the mutants, but nothing bad will happen, and that's fine. This is sort of gets to what I like the best about Stellaris is that it has all this writing, especially front-loaded, that sort of gets into the ethics and ideologies that you have. Like, my absolute favorite thing that happened in the game was um, I was playing a xenophobic race and just going around exploring, and my neighbors below me, um, I, like, met them, and they were, you know, kind of weird, but okay. And then I, like, explored a system near them, and I found one of their sacred books. Um, it was, like, a, a take on the prince. And um, because I was a xenophobe, my options were, like, they, it said, we read the book, and it sucks. <laughs> I, this was random. <laughs> Good. This was random. I just said I'm going to start as a random race because you let's left see a what comment happens. below their sacred book and was like, "Why is this yep. newsworthy again?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is what Slow happened. News so, day. so I get the event saying we found this book from these guys and we think it sucks. And then immediately after, I get an event saying, "Hey, we hear you found our sacred book," and my and they're like, "Can we have it back?" And my options were like, "No, we don't like you," or "No, this book sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and I chose, no, this book sucks. And for the rest of the game, I had a negative 20 
diplomatic nice. penalty with these guys as book burners because my xenophobic race refused to give them their book back. But I feel like all of this this like almost entirely dries up when you get to the transition between the exploration and expansion phase and the supposed EU foreign fa- space phase. This is sort of how the game was descri- described to me was that like first you start exploring and then it kind of slowly turns into a paradox game and we can get all these new paradox fans who like they're expecting master of Orion. They end up in EU four, but I didn't actually get into the EU4 section in an interesting way. And part of that is that the quests, like the long-term quests, all got broken for me. Um, like, I I was supposed to, like, go to these three space systems and get, um, clear out, like, these, these fleets. And AI cleared out the fleet, and it just said, you're supposed to go here, and nothing ever happened again. So, like, this thing that I liked so much about the early game is broken and missing in the later part of the game and it feels weird to me that the thing i like so much about a paradox game is the writing but the writing in this is so good the, do you think the, the ethics and ideologies are really interesting do you think that the reliance on the writing which i also like a lot is partially because as a new game like it doesn't have the dozen expansions that add the systemic depth to create those sorts of stories through pure systems interaction that like you know five years from now there might just be the the space book ex- uh, expansion that just has space books as a procedurally generated thing <laughs> instead of just a handwritten thing you know i mean i reviewed eu4 and ck2 when they came out and i got those stories i think the writing is there to cover over the fact that this isn't history based mm. uh, cover over is kind of a, a negative term but i think yeah, the writing yeah. The writing is there to help you along to be like, this is a galaxy you can inhabit. This isn't France versus England. Right. This is this is something that, you know, you want to hang out in. Even if you all these races are random and your race is random, there's still a personality here. And I think it really works well in the early game for that. You know, I, I, I do think there is an element to this and, and it could just be, you know, me projecting on it. But I, I think there is sort of an identity crisis this game still has a little bit. Um, and it just, it, I, I'm so used to a paradox game and sort of bringing those things into it that at least so far through my playthroughs, uh, I've, I've been able to kind of identify the elements, but you know, let's be honest, paradox hasn't done a space game before or a pure, you know, four X game before, or, you know, sort of taken themselves. I mean, one of the big deals about this is they've taken themselves out of, you know, the historical realm and put it into a pure fiction realm. And that's not super easy. That's not, you know, you can't, it's not a one-to-one connection. And and I do kind of see, I think a little bit, Rowan, maybe this is what you're getting at to some degree, um, is that this this game doesn't feel like it's fully identified what it is, how it's going to continue to present your story, your information, whatever. Like, I mean, all the pieces are there and it mechanically works, and, and but but I think... I think that's what I would be looking for from future expansions is to kind of build out that theme and make it feel like its own cohesive, fully realized thing. I'm not sure I I totally feel that yet. Yeah, I think that, like, if someone asked me, like, what is EU4 about? I'm going to say it's about diplomacy. If someone asked me, what is CK2 about? I'm going to say that's about, like, court management. It's about managing vassals or being a vassal and managing your lord. If someone asks me what civilization is about, I'm going to say it's about, like, bending the map to your will. 
like you have a map you need to like control it make it grow bigger whatever or better if you're growing tall instead of wide if someone asks you what solaris is about i have no idea i think what you you brought it up uh, a moment ago rowan with the uh, exploration um that's by far my favorite part of the game i think that's the the part of the 4x genre that Stellarius has really kind of mixed up and, and done something mm-hmm. fresh with. Um, but the thing is, in, in any sort of 4X game or in any sort of kind of big strategy game, exploration has to end, where you've, you've got all the corners of the map explored and now you're using the information you've gained from that phase to sort of dominate or to do other things. Um, and it is a shame in Starf when the exploration is just so damn fun that there's a point where we, the galaxy has been fully surveyed, there are no like really anomalies, the quest chains are maybe mostly mostly done or blocked off for certain reasons. Um, and now it's you're getting down to the nitty-gritty of wars and federations and, and management, and it's all a lot more familiar. Now, I actually really like that side, and I think they, they that's been kind of done very well, but the exploration stuff is just so novel it is tragic when you can't do that anymore. Um, yeah. And it's probably a reason why I've got like five games on the go. <laughs> I, I would also add in the the initial expansion phase when you're trying to figure out which which planets you can go to and like uplift or conquer races so that you can send them to those planets and kind of figure out like okay do i want to go for this arid world that my race will hate but is in a really good location or do i want to go to a desert world that they're gonna like better but isn't gonna give me too much like this part it really works well and it's it's kind of baffling to me that like i i talking about a paradox game say that like the the exploration and expansion phase is what's really good but it's the sort of paradox part of the game that is driving me batty elements of that can continue for a very long time though um there's multiple waves of uh expansion exactly and and sometimes things can just last for a lot like for instance you might have gone through all that initial stuff and now you're kind of if you're a a more warlike gamer in in the war phase but then you you've conquered a piece of the galaxy and oh in that on one of the new planets that's under your rule you found a primitive race and you found primitive races before in your initial expansion but you you find this new primitive race that you can put an observation station above it and start you know, fiddling with them and putting down like doppelgangers and doing body snatcher stuff and experimenting on them or uplifting them, giving them tech, welcoming them into the galaxy. And that can happen in the late game just as much as the early game. Because when you're conquering, you're still in many ways, you're still expanding um, and seeing these new things. Um, It's not as often, though. You even get some of the nice expansion, you kind of scratch that itch in war where you're building out what you're what your claim is, uh, kind of what you want from winning a war. Uh, so in Stellaris, when you declare a war, so in Stellaris, you can't fly your your military vessels or any of your vessels uh, across into um, uh, another empire's borders without having border access or without declaring war. And when you declare war, you have to say what the war is over. You have to say, oh, uh, you're going to cede me that planet or you're going to become a vassal or a protectorate or something like that or, or, or I want to liberate these three planets um, and I, I've gotten a lot of joy out of saying, okay, which are the planets I want to take from you? I'm going to break, you're the one who has the Teldar. I'm going to take these three planets from you so that your strategic resources completely fall apart. And I really like that a lot. 
I I think that there is the there isn't enough there. Um, the the three things you cited: vassalize, conquer planets, or liberate planets. I'm totally with you. Those yeah. are the only things that are that are options. And I think there's an issue where um, it's sort of like civilization in that each of your planets that you build um, sends out borders. They're not called culture borders, but it's effectively the same. And so, if you have like a key strategic planet in the middle of like a little cluster, that you can have like four star systems with a bunch of strategic resources around it, and like theoretically, then someone will have to declare war on you to conquer that. But what I find in practice is that a lot of the time there isn't actually a planet that's clearly there that I know will make declaring war to get that planet worthwhile. So if I'm playing Civilization and I see a city location that's got like iron and horses and a you know natural wonder and all these cool things, I know this is a fantastic city. I want to have this. And someone else gets it, then I'm going to plan to declare war on them and try to get that. But in Stellaris, like almost all of the resources, except for the very occasional strategic resources you talked about, Austin, um, the resources are all almost exactly the same, and it they're all empire wide so getting slightly more minerals because i got one more planet is not an appealing thing to me like that you you sort of automatically balance out your production um because it's like i need more minerals the next planet i make i'm going to build more mines than usual now my now my entire empire is balanced yeah I so i don't know why for, i need to declare war for y'all just talking about the economy um how did you find that? Because I actually had a similar experience to, to Rowan where, like, strategic resources ran short. Like, there were a lot of times mm -hmm. I was like, boy, yeah. I'd love to terraform that that piece of rock. And I couldn't <laughs> because I didn't have enough terraforming liquids. Uh, I didn't have uh, the precious right. fluids. Um, but I spent, a, I spent a long time energy poor and, and mineral super rich. Like, I spent probably 20 hours of my game like going broke, running in a deficit in energy constantly and just buying it from Couldn't people. You just build more energy producing stuff on your planets? Not without wasting the resources that were already there, right? Because because my planets that I got all had mineral uh, but I just started ignoring that though. Cause like No, fuck that. I want my minerals. And that's the thing, is like that's how I rose to power was I was actually super rich because I had so many minerals that I was able to buy off anybody I wanted to have de a decent relationship with. Um, and like it ended up working out fine. And now I'm super, I'm like just so in the black, like I'm in the green. So, but the important thing is, is you have options, right? I mean, you, you obviously you realized you couldn't uh, build because you right. were wanting to, uh, keep the integrity of the, of the world. Um, well, also it would have spent, I would have, that would have been spending resources on rebuilding. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, so, so the two, the, the option you decided was to use diplomacy, but then you can also use influence and edicts and policies and all these other things, um, because uh, for the listeners, there are more than just actual raw resources. There's also uh, influence, which you get very slowly, like every week, a tiny bit of influence, and you can build that up through technology and loads of other things. Um, and influence is spent on a vast number of different things from specific buildings that have very kind of the very powerful buildings they might like add more to your uh, your stock pool of uh, your stockpile of resources or something like that but you can also use it to be more political so you can spend uh, influence on 
increasing the focus of a planet to generate more energy, which is kind of like credits, really, it's money, or, or minerals, or, or other things. So there are always kind of, I feel, options to, to use other resources to get more of a different resource, either through diplomacy or internal politics. But I guess to, to Rowan's point, and, and, you know, and to Rob's too, did anybody ever really feel in danger of, of it all falling apart? During a war, during a multiplayer thing, I, I certainly did. I, when I lost some key planets and some frontier outposts, so my borders were pushed back. So a frontier outpost is basically like, instead of colonizing a planet to increase your border, you just plonk uh, an outpost that costs a bit of money and a bit of influence, and that expands your borders and allows you to build in more areas. Um, so when these were taken out, my border shrunk, I lost a lot of minerals, energy, just everything. And it took a while to get back up and I had to go to war with all these other people and eventually it screwed me over in my attempt to kind of get back to my glory days. I got too aggressive, too, I was too desperate to get rich again. And I bit off more than I could chew. And ultimately, the, the wars that I got over, and these were resource wars for me, uh, destroyed my empire. I mean, I basically ended up losing the game. I had one system left by the end of the game uh, because I had just gone to war with so many people so I could get rich again. It took 50 hours for the AI to declare war on me. This is part of why I am not happy with this game. It took 50 hours. <clears throat> Three games, I had to create a smaller, um, smaller galaxy, put it on hard, and gave like half the AIs like the super buffs that you can give them at the beginning to sort of create your Frances and your Russias. And I was neighbors with one of them and they finally declared war on me. Like that's what it took. That's how that's how little pressure I feel the game gives to players. And that's my number one frustration is that there's no internal pressure and there's no external pressure. I do agree on this pressure idea because one of the things, you know, one of the frustrating things, but the things I really love about EU4 is it's both trying to play a game with me, but it's also trying to play a game against me, right? You you have those moments where you're like, I cannot believe I have gotten this Comet event, like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so far Stellaris doesn't feel like... And maybe it's maybe it's trying to make it more approachable. Maybe it's trying to make it seem more fair. Maybe it's you know it could be a lot of things. But I I definitely don't feel like this game is ever really playing against me. Like it's ever really got in the back of its head. I'm just going to stick it to him now. I, he's in a, this is like the worst thing for this moment. And here's that card. Right? There's never you know the 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 the, the bunch of people rising up and all all of a sudden half you know just after you've lost a big war you've got or won a big war and you're you're down on manpower all of a sudden you know the the rest reformation shows up or like it doesn't feel like that it is kind of pushing as hard as as i guess what i'm used to and what i kind of want sometimes so uh, this this is what was missing for me in a lot of this like playing this made me realize what it is that i truly love about eu4 i think because what I was feeling really missing in this was that sense of historical moment uh, that exists in in EU4, right? Like, it was way too easy once the systems had sort of been balanced. Like, I was I was producing good income. I hadn't really pissed anyone off. Like, it was very easy just to sort of turtle up. And then I was left wondering, well, exactly what am I supposed to do here? Because there was going to be no external pressure to create a 
retrenching of my empire or rethink of my strategy or anything like that. Whereas in EU4, there's a couple things. There's, there's the knowledge that at various points there will be massive historical movements that will change the game state for a number of players or maybe all of them. And that introduces this element of volatility into the world that then generates a lot of exciting action. Uh, and then when things are really dicey, in e when there's a lot of stuff going on or when a lot of stuff has just happened in EU4, there's usually lingering effects uh, that, are, that are mechanically, that are, that are driven by mechanics, but they raise the, the odds of additional complications being introduced, right? So after you've just won a major war and you've taken a bunch of territories, but your rebellion, like your, 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 your rebellion risk is really high, your stability's low, you're out of money, and a lot of people hate you, it feels like you're like steering a ship through a minefield because <laughs> there's a million things that like could just go wrong or you could screw up and then it'll all blow apart. Here... A lot of that didn't seem to really exist in this game because it was kind of a historical blank slate. I didn't get the sense that there were like events that were going to drive the action for a bunch of players all at once. It felt like there were a lot of discrete events happening to me and maybe they were happening to other people, but I wasn't I wasn't feeling the the sense that we were all part of of some sort of uh connected uh, connected system and so there were a lot of there, there was a lot of like I was playing kind of I was very cautious in my in my early games I was I was I, I gravitated towards isolationist policies but there were a lot of games where I was sort of sitting there being like well I guess I guess this is just going to kind of run and eventually something's going to happen that, that's that's why I say this is such a I mean this is why I, at the start of the show, I was like, this is a much more pure 4X game because that's what you expect from a civilization or Galsiv 3 or Master of Orion, right? You expect that you're playing in a mechanic-driven world where you have control over everything, right? Your decisions and the way you impart that, that act um, determine, you know, how successful you are. But if you, if you play the game correctly, uh, you are going to get a consistent result and we're not like that's not what a u4 is that's not what crusader kings is um those games you know they they are constantly asking you to make those shifts i love this idea of volatility because that's i think that's the perfect word for it uh stellaris does not introduce a lot of volatility volatility it asks you to play the game it asks you to build a story out of it but it is going to give you a lot more control over outcome have any of you hit the end game events yes um okay because i think that's the one instance where there is that volatility mm -hmm. and um, it sort of binds the galaxy together often uh, and i wish it happened earlier and i so, wish there were i wish there were variations on it so, that were things that happened earlier i so did get we should, we should talk about what these are yeah go ahead okay uh, wrote, yeah good so i i haven't actually seen them which is part of my problem it's like i have this the deepest game i have i have a huge empire and that's it it's so, um, but like there are various, according to what I've been told, there are various things usually associated with technology catastrophes. You can get between zero and two of them in every game and they're going to mess everything up. Like you can get a Cylon rebellion 
um, when all the robots, you know, become sentient and just say, fuck all y'all. Um, and I think I've heard that you can get like a mass Zerg-like invasion of the galaxy too. Yeah, it's um, an extra galactic incursion. But what it's it's more than just an invasion. They actually set up shop and start conquering worlds. Like so they a have faction? A, yeah, yeah, totally. But like a purely like aggressive one. So like you get a bunch of messages about them coming, but they're they're coming in waves. So the idea is, is that you you should maybe think about making a gargantuan federation to stop them. In my game, I was like, this is the perfect time to declare war on everyone. <laughs> That's <laughs> one way to create a federation. It was. it was. Everyone was all like, yeah, let's be friends and defend our galaxy. And I'm like, no, you're going to be my slaves. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> But yeah, there's there are these things that are supposed to provide that volatility. But like, if I had to pick one word to describe my Stellaris experience, it would be inert. There just is not enough happening, and I don't think that this is a general 4x thing. Like, if I play Civilization, like I'm going to have things that I'm planning on doing, trying to do enemies that are getting in my way, whatever. Hell, there are just barbarians in Civilization that are more interesting than anything in. Stellaris. I usually put Civilization on Raging Barbarians, which might explain why Stellaris <laughs> bugs me so much. Um, See, it sounds like you guys have all kind of got a consensus where you don't think it's volatile, and I kind of agree, but I think it's more... It's a, it's a very different approach to aggression in Stellaris. Um, and I actually think this is, this is by design, this is a philosophy, I think. So, when we were playing the multiplayer, we actually had a, a rule, and the first day we weren't allowed to declare war on each other. We had an unofficial non-aggression pact so we could all you know a lot of the people there had only played a tiny bit of the game so it was to, for people to build up their infrastructure and get to grips with the game but i think more fundamentally it was to allow people to actually get into that ex exploration and just enjoy themselves before they start to worry about mass confrontation um because the game actually does encourage it, but it just encourages it by making you want to be aggressive rather than having other factions be aggressive. Um, I was always in a position where I was like, I could see easily how I would be so much better off if I declared war right now, especially in the way that after you've expanded your empire's borders and started hitting other borders, you get to a point where you're basically like Germany and you need breathing space. And like Germany thinks... <laughs> I like that you're, you know, basically, we're you're basically we're endorsing learning. the Liebensraum argument. We are about Stellaris. <laughs> <laughs> but so you, you, you kind of look and you're like, well, I need to get through to this other part of the galaxy and these people hate me. So I'm not really going to be able to get open borders or anything like that. They're not even going to let my civilian ships through. So, so maybe so it's question, time for Fraser, a war. Why mm. do you need to get to that other part of the galaxy? What is your motivation for that? Well, there's, I mean, firstly, it might be quests. I might have sort of quests that I'm actually interested in. Um, and the events or, or the, the things I've got to su survey are all the way on the other side of the galaxy. Or it might just be I simply want to explore and map the stars. Um, it could be, or it just could be that I kind of, I've been boxed in and it's in a part of the galaxy that is not like mineral rich. Um, and I just, I start to think, well, the grass is greener on the other side. Um, it's because I think, I think the game encourages you to, ex you know, exploration is such a big part of that. And I think it's quite clever that by encouraging you to explore, it also subtly encourages you to get into conflict. 
Um, and it does that rather than allowing or like constant a constant barrage of war declarations from you know factions you barely even know right off the bat. Um, it gives you time to actually get to grips with the game before that war phase happens. Because when everyone starts, you know, working together in federations, then the wars become quite common. So that's like a phase of the game. And I think the early phase doesn't have that by design. And I'm okay with it. Because yeah, I can war, still get into a war if I want, you know? You know, I'm in, I'm in like the mid-late game, I guess, at this point. Mm. Everyone is all federated up and, and wars have gotten way more common because of that. Um, and that has been an interesting shift. It, it feels a lot like they want that first, that first like third of the game to be your like early Star Trek experience. Oh, you're you're in undiscovered space. You're bumping into things, but basically you can you can kind of paper over any holes you happen to punch in the wall. It does feel like season it. one of Enterprise for sure. Like, <laughs> totally. I don't know where this is going. <laughs> oh, Seems no. a little slow. Yeah, maybe things could go somewhere. I don't know. We'll see. But, then that they intro, do sometimes, huh? unless you're playing uh, Ruins game where apparently nothing happens. Nothing <laughs> happens. I spend 75% of the time just staring at the screen, praying that my next tech is going to be interesting. It's really, it's weird to hear this because, you know, I've obviously, I've been able to, to meet up with a lot of people who've played and and i mean one of the things that happened along london was we were just talking about our little personal little stories and events um and it was the the like the joy of being surprised by these stories sometimes they might be a little bit familiar and be like that something similar happened to me but it didn't quite go this way um so being able to see that the way they can take these different paths and it I, always feels like everyone's galaxy is this really interesting place apart from I, yours I feel like the first five hours of every game has that, and then it's like, well, this is obviously great, so therefore I'm just going to keep going, and then suddenly it's not so great. But maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe I just had the worst fucking AI in the goddamn game, and no catastrophes, and nothing to make my game (laughs) have anything actually apply pressure to me. Well, something Sean said early was that you have to roleplay a little bit. And actually, I I kind of agree, but I'm also not sure I, I like that as a solution because my game got interesting... In my, my, my game's got interesting in part because eventually I would hit a point where it's like, I think I'm kind of bored with just trying to grind research text to unlock more planet colonization options to expand for the sake of expansion. And I definitely felt like a lot of my, a lot of my experience was just kind of ink blotting just because, like... I was a space amoeba, and that's kind of what the game seemed to be about. But there wasn't, I didn't have the sense that like conflict was necessarily inevitable. Uh, I, I always, ha- I usually had lots of options about other places I could go. I could sort of backfill my empire on, on, on second rate planets. Um, and then I would sort of, I guess, choose to make things interesting. And they, they try to force this on you by, by having the influence system really, really rivalry dependent. Uh, yeah. So that you yeah. have to you have to poison your relationship with other empires for no damn good reason except to be able to hire the leaders and give the edicts that you need to make your empire run a little more efficiently, which I'm not sure how I feel about, but it did accomplish the objective of making stuff happen because once I started doing that, suddenly like you know I pissed off one neighbor. And then they've got like three other people in an alliance with them. And so suddenly they're all my enemies. And suddenly I'm frantically trying to buddy up to another alliance system 
so that I can have people come to my rescue if things go bad. Uh, so, like, but but in terms of what, what was missing, I guess, a little bit was that, again, that, that EU4 CK2 type thing where you can sort of set your own expectations of, of, of success. You can set your own objectives and do interesting things at a variety of, a variety of different scales. Here, it kind of felt like, unless I was sort of trying to become this big galaxy-spanning empire, if I ever just said, you know, this is pretty good. This is a good empire. I got lots of resources. I don't need more. If I basically, there was no, there was no option to become the Dutch of, of, of this game. And sometimes I want to be the Dutch. Right, or like you could do it, but that sounds just not very interesting. The lack of trade in this game, I think, is a severe issue. Like, I am imagining a Stellaris game where borders become instantly interesting because you have, like, China-like situations where you are trying to prevent ethics that you don't want from getting into your empire. So you create these little... um, God, I forget the word for him, but you create like these four zones where trade can like come through. Trade only yeah, there. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like I, I want that. Like this, the, the, um, outline of this is there. Like I can that, see that it. That would make the sector system so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about the sector system because we never got into it. Austin, tell us about your sectors. All right. So, so sector sectors are so, um, as in CK two, uh, you only you as the leader can only. Uh, directly control a limited number of of the the land that you rule in this case planets right like you kind of have a domain size uh, by default I think it's five I think that that can go up based on some some uh, edicts that you have based on some technologies and based on I think what your ethos is the um, governments are the main thing you right, I got one that give gives you, you a, but you can a restart to load of them they're just like plus yeah. ones each time I'm up to like plus seven now in my main yeah game. and um. After that, you start getting negatives. I think it's a it's a it's a tax on your your kind of money yeah. and maybe on resources too. Yeah, or on, it's on ten minerals. Like one is like ten percent off both energy credits and minerals, and it kind of scales up from there. I feel like I feel like minerals are more the money than the energy credits. Oh, I agree. So well, so, so we get yeah, this. Yeah, they're both money. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yep. what you have to do is you have to create these these automated sectors where you begin clicking on planets and then you build kind of a little, like a little blob of planets say up, oh, go, you manage yourself. I'm delegating. You are in charge of you. Uh, you should focus on making me money or doing tech or doing research or building the military. One of these like five options and then give me a cut every month here. Just send me 50% of, of your, your surplus. Um, and then you kind of don't have to look at them again besides making sure that they have an assigned uh, uh, governor and then also doing all of the management of their spaceports because they don't automate any of the spaceport stuff. Oh, my um, God. If anything, I wish there was more automation in the sectors. So the, that is – it's a simple thing. The, so this is actually – going back to what Rob was just saying, the lack of automation and the lack of sort of internal simulation that's going on makes, I feel, role-playing difficult if not impossible. So the worst moment of my Stellaris game, um, when I was calling it the new Master of Orion 3, I'm up from that a little, um, <laughs> uh, was, okay, I am, I'm in a war, the enemies have taken, like, my planets in my domain or whatever, the ones I'm directly controlling, so I need to build ships in um, these other spaceports. Mm-hmm. 
or, or I'm running out of money, I think was how I initially found this. But so I go to my sector space ports. First, I cannot like go to a menu and find these. I have to zoom in, click on each individual one, and the planets are kind of hidden, right? So you have to, you, you don't just click on a star system. You have to actually click on the star system, oh. zoom in, click on the name of the planet. This is then buried in menus. Out. You can actually do that through menus, but, but where? You, the, the, the planet menu? menu. Yeah, yeah. yeah the planet what, menu. It, do you, do you like double click on the sector thing? No, they, they expand. Click, yeah, they expand. Yeah. It shows Jesus. every single planet in a sector. Yeah, and it shows you what you have built on each each uh, spaceport. You have to double God, click on a blank game. space of the, <laughs> of, of the of the plate because it took uh-huh. me forever how to fit. There's figure a little out how to collapse there's a little it. drop down. There's a little drop down arrow, I think. I that denotes. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. A little upside down triangle. Anyway. All right. Anyway, that's still a pointless bit of micromanagement. Um and then you have to so you have to go and find each individual spaceport and then they're not doing anything automatically like they do if you like just give them like 3000 minerals then they might upgrade the spaceport but so like there's something wrong with the ai it's i it's just not working right it does not um, i wonder i wonder if that would change if they ever are you playing a militarist ethos I wonder um, no. if a militarist ethos pop would actually invest in the military because, as it stands, no one in my sector I, I seems playing, to believe in a strong I was military. playing xenophobic militarists out the out the ass, and <laughs> no luck. Nobody like I would go there. I'm like, all right, let's see how many spa- let's see how many defense stations you built. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Cool. <laughs> good thing. So, good thing I created this military district. So, <laughs> so you have to go and find each spaceport individually, and then. Um, you have to like say, I need you guys to build to expand your spaceport so you can build another thing, another module to give me slightly more money, and then expand again. And you have to go back each time to do this. Um, and like, so if I have the situation where my planets have been taken over by the enemy fleets, I want every single space station I have to start building destroyers. I have to go and click on each one and click on each single destroyer, like. I would probably have liked this game significantly more if all it had was Europa Universalis's army creator thing, where you say, I yeah. want 10 infantry, yes. 6 cavalry, 4 artillery, and I want them to all like be built across oh, my empire and then come together. you a standard template yes. fleet. Oh my god, I would murder and then, that. And then, hey, also, all of my armies, I want you to all have the attachment, this one attachment. I'll be riding your weird, like, Xeno gene-bred horses that I <laughs> spent a ton of research in. Instead, you have to go in on the army management. This isn't a thing I think that they show you at all. I just oh, happen yeah. to stumble into it. You can yep. attach things to your army units. He's like, oh, yeah, have these hunter-killer drone swarms. But, like, if you have a big army of, like, so 40 units... you have units, to go and click on those? It's not yes. automatic? Jesus. Yep, it's not automatic, Rowan. You Fuck can go this game. in and actually equip those while they're on a planet, nonetheless. Um, and then they and can yeah. go onto their transports with the gear. And so, yeah, that's exactly. And, and I wish that, that, like you just said, I think the the E4 system of just like, hey, build me this army. This is the army I want. Just be, do this for me would be so, would be such a, a quality of life improvement. Well, also, so to go back to the sectors, um, they were talking about how they're not automated. And like this game was made by Kenrick Farhouse. I'd probably say that wrong, who made Crusader Kings 2, which is the best sort of like internal politics simulator and get get dynamic things happening, get your get your vassals actually building things. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen at all here, and it's so um, crushingly build... disappointing. 
They'll build the the colonies out. They just yeah. They'll build. build the, it's it's an anti micromanagement thing. They're yes. trying to so you don't have to build every single mine on every single planet yourself because there are like twenty different mines on a planet. So this is it's the sectors are like anti micromanagement. That's great, but they don't have a political component. They don't have an autonomous component. They're just turned into these um, basically money money giving. Pits of no right. fun. They're franchise. I would really love. See, I would. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, you can put them on a military focus though, or an industry yeah, focus, what does that or do? a science focus, which changes what they um, they build on the actual. Right. Uh, yeah. So, and so, you can, so if you, can, you do a military focus, what do they build instead? Um, I've not. I think things like military academies and things like that. Mm. Um, okay, but you still have to go to each individual to, planet and, to, and click on every single army you want, and then load them onto the transports. Like this is. Well, no, you don't have to select every single army. You just you just hit um, embark, embark on. and then they yeah. all are up. And I mean, I know it's still a bit a bit of extra micromanagement, and it would be nice if there was some sort of automation to the military without using a vassal. If you just have it in your sectors, I, but I think that it's it's not that. And it's it's not like it takes more than a couple of second like or a second to embark like all of your forces. It's like the, one. The click. equipping thing is the one that bugs me the most. That's, like, yeah, for please sure. just please. And I think, but but the, to the to the greater point that Rowan is trying to make, and I, I actually am really happy with with sectors and with the amount of automation that's here. But I would like more of the uh, the politicking. Like, and maybe this is a broader question. Um, it, there's a version of this game in which when the group of space crabs begins to to riot, um, they the governor of their sector decides to side with them and turns against me. That's not this game. Um, that, that would be a lot more like Space Crusader Kings 2. This game isn't interested in what the governor thinks or wants because the governor doesn't really think or want anything. Is that a thing you're disappointed in or, or would like them to continue going or uh, continue developing that way? Or... Are you more interested in, in in them continuing to develop the kind of more traditional 4X uh, style of this, where the governor is just a fancy name for a couple of stat bonuses with a nice portrait and and maybe a funny trait or two? I mean, I think that given Paradox's history of being able to turn a game like that into something fantastic in like Crusader Kings 2, like, God, yes, I want that. <laughs> yeah, I, and the I lack liked... of internal pressure is a major issue. Uh, yeah, I would have liked this idea that it could be a double-edged sword creating, like, a sector of really rich, like, powerful mm -hmm. planets, right? Because, like, suddenly, like, you need to micromanage your frontier, but, like, hey, who's minding the, the economic heart of the empire, and what if that guy turns on you? Right. But that's never something you have to worry about in this game, even though there are nods to things like internal dissension and via, like, ethics deviations and such, and, and, and that it, it ends up it ends up feeling like... It ends up feeling like sectors kind of relieve some of the micromanagement burden from like developing planets by making it go away entirely. But then that also reflect the fact I don't miss that also kind of reflects I think some of the hollowness of that of that planet development model uh, that at least in my eyes like I didn't I didn't have a great time developing planets like it just wasn't it wasn't particularly exciting I was mostly you know, calling, you know, sort of dialing up whatever my empire needed at that moment, uh, just to keep everything mm -hmm. ticking along in the black, and occasionally specializing a planet, because there are certain buildings that are like, hey, build this on a planet, you want to become a big energy producer, and you build one of those, and everything else gets a gets a bonus. Uh, 
we, we talked a lot about the, the, the governance and the, the economic model. Uh, let's talk about war and ships. Um, what did, when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the shots started uh, flying, how did this game work for you? What, what did you guys make of it? I liked it, actually. I thought it struck uh, a pretty good balance. Um, after the, the last Space 4X game that I put a lot of time into, it wasn't the new Masters of Orion, that's for sure, um, was uh, Galsiv 3. Um, and it's obviously got a really deep ship builder, ship creator, and editing tools. And I really love that, but sometimes I just want to build a goddamn ship. Uh, and I feel that Stellaris does that. You can auto-complete all your ships. They just use the most effective balance of like um, energy and, and weapons and shields and stuff like that. But I actually do like placing them myself and just making little tiny tweaks, but it never feels like I'm going to be there for like an hour doing that. I'll maybe change like one or two guns and then boom, they're being built. Uh, and, you know, one click and then all my other ships are upgrading uh, in the planet. So actually, kind of developing a fleet is, is, is nice and easy. There are only really a few tiers of ships to worry about, so it's more about the actual modules you're putting on them. And it's all very obvious how it works. Um, but what I really like, and this is purely an aesthetic thing, is, is how battles are displayed. Um, in that you do get these titanic, epic battles. I mean, I've got some screenshots of, of some of the battles that look like they're straight out of EVE. Um, when you zoom in, it's just so crazy. And yet they take place in the same space as the rest of the game. It's not like you're having to go to a battle viewer. It's immediate. The ships get within firing range on the main map, and that's where the battle begins. And then you can see um, how much damage is being done to all these different things. Like It's like this is how much laser damage is being done to you and how much laser damage you're doing to them. So it actually, I find the information that it provides while the battle is, is, is playing out really helpful in going back to the drawing board and creating a better ship to take on that, uh, that army. What I'll often do is I'll sacrifice a few, like a small fleet, if I have the, the resources, uh, just so I can get an idea of, of what I'm going to need to build uh, to really conquer these space bastards. Um, that, that stuff is visualized really nicely in the battles themselves. Of it just is, like, yeah. Of yeah. like, oh yeah, here it goes. My space torpedoes are going to tear these people up. And then their point defense system just <laughs> beat all my torpedoes out. And just like, well, fuck. Okay, back to the drawing board. Buy 12,000 units. Like... It's insane to see it in, in, in that sort of detail. And, it, it, I, and I don't feel like I'm exaggerating when I say they sometimes do look like EVE battles. If you're taking on like um, a Fallen Empire's ring world, um, Fallen Empires are basically these giant archaic empires that nobody can really defeat unless the entire galaxy unites against them near the endgame. Um, they're very dangerous, but they're mostly kind of like, you know, slumbering bears that you just don't want to prod. But you can War go and lines. try and conquer them with, and they have these insane ring worlds. These like well, so they don't all they don't all have ring worlds. No, right? not like, all of them. No, okay. but it's but but only fallen empires have them. Um, oh, okay. oh, I've been told there's like something else about uh, special worlds that's like a that's kind of a spoilery type thing. So, um, but only fallen empires can have these ring worlds, and they're beautiful. And so having a massive battle, we're talking like bare minimum your fleet's going to be like 20, 30k with all of these other fleets in your federation around you. 
So you've just like hundreds of thousands of like points of man of firepower and and like a thousand ships, uh, and the game's just like you need to upgrade your PC, mate. Um, you, you never think it's gonna like do a number on on your rig in, when you're playing a 4x game, but when it gets to the scope of some of those epic clashes, it really does start chugging a little bit on my PC. Oh yeah, there's. I I think I had a huge issue with um, the speed at not actually going up if I was at like a medium range zoom. If I was like at a full zoom in or a full zoom out, the speed of the game actually seemed to increase significantly. So oh, that's, wow. a, that's a strange. But is that like a bug or is that like an optimization issue? I, I think it's that it's trying to show you so many things if you're at a sort of medium range, but mm. if it's not trying to show you all the things happening in the galaxy at once, it's just then, smoother. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's that's sort of I've, I've kind of had that issue with some other games. I can't remember exactly which, but yeah. Who would have thought Paradox is the one who's going to get you to update your rig? That's I know, yeah. right? It's, it's <laughs> completely absurd. So, so I think the wars, the wars generally work fairly well. The one, the one major issue I have with the actual fighting of them is that the sort of paradox cat and mouse of like trying yeah. to pin down oh God, an yeah. enemy um, is can be significantly worse because you might have different faster than light Yo. technology yeah. from wormhole your opponents yeah <laughs> yeah so if you're on a wormhole generator and you're fighting against someone with a warp drive and you're trying to find their fleet and actually like knock it out you might be like just chasing them for hours and that's there are things you can build to stop them though for instance yeah, if they're in your territory there are like things that disrupt their warp drive and stuff like that and kind of keep them stuck there and also i've noticed like you you can sometimes be quite clever about it i got caught out majorly in a in a, in a war a while back where they it was it was against another player and he just sent one little fast ship to engage yes. my fleeing fleet because he, i've done he that had, so many times it's so clever and like they're basically i'd like a stack of like 3k firepower and he had 5k and i knew i was going to get wiped out and I couldn't afford it at the time. So I was really close to fleeing. But that one tiny ship engages, and that stops me from fleeing for just a second, and it's just enough time for him to catch up, and then we get into it, and I'm defeated. So there's, there's room for a little clever tactics like that, and I'm, I'm pleased that worked for him in a sense, but also hate him terribly. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, to go back to the ship builder, I, I think, you know, Rob and I have both spoken in the past about how much we hate ship builders, I think I actually like this one. This one strikes the right balance of like it feels like Tetris without being anxiety inducing of just it isn't Tetris to be clear there are I'm not dragging blocks around. I'm just trying to balance out how much power my ship is producing versus how much uh output it has basically. Um but I really like going in and saying like okay, what sort of thing do I want here? I want a, a, a long distance sniper one. So I'll put some rail cannons and some torpedoes and I'll put on the the defensive AI so that it will stay in formation at the back of the fight and and okay, well, I mean I have to I'll have to get rid of this shield unit cuz that's taking up too much power. I'll put some armor on instead and and for whatever reason again i i don't like these traditionally i think it's because the the core numbers involved are so clean and clear am i do i have enough power yes or no if not okay i guess i'll toss another generator on in place of the shield good i'm good enough let's go um and and then seeing it play out like oh that's the these are the musashi class destroyers i built that get up close with with auto cannon just tear things up i can see them visualize so clearly that it, it it 
makes the ship designs designing process that much more rewarding. I think. Um, did you did you do okay with these ships, Rob? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like any 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 ship builder I don't hate is a success. <laughs> uh, things I liked was the fact that you could modify an existing template, and actually, you pretty much have to. You modify an existing template. And then you can upgrade all the ships of that class to the latest technology. Uh, now, it, that also sort of reveals the, the the sort of basic trick of this game, which is like laser one, laser two, laser three, missile one, right. missile two. So that's kind of, uh, it's, 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 it's not a super interesting uh, a choice you, you have to make. The other thing that I, I wondered a little bit about was, I tended to design my ships fairly um, general purpose uh, based around my technology. So if, like, you know, my hulls were really good, I'd maybe just leave deflector shields pretty light and, and stock up on armor. Um, I, I use a variety of weapon systems uh, to sort of balance out my, my power draw. What I didn't find myself having to do was sort of contemplate what other people were using and then build ships in reaction to that. And I also found it really tough to figure out what people's technology base was you like really to, have to actually fight them to be honest um yeah. it could really do with a bit of like proper espionage i want an that's, espionage that's, that, that, is, that is the thing that yes. i'm missing the most is a is just a way to gain intelligence about what's going on like around you like that if, if i had anything to add that's actually the thing i'd add is just that that layer of it i felt consistently early game mid game late game like across the board just always mm -hmm. felt like it was missing do you get the feeling that, I mean, I know that, that Paradox have basically said that they haven't, like, nailed down DLC plans because there's so many things that they want to do. So right. they haven't kind of, but of course, they're not going to bloody tell a journalist what their <laughs> five-year DLC plan is before <laughs> launch, are they? So that's always going to be the answer. However, I would find, I find it very hard to believe that they don't have at least, like, a sort of trade and espionage thing in the works. Yeah. Um, and I'm that's... not 100% surprised it's not already in there because... They, it's a big game. It is a big game with a lot going on, a lot of new things as well, and it's out like on you know on Monday. I mean, by the time this airs, it will be out, um, and it's not. It doesn't feel like it was announced all that long ago. Compare it to Hearts of Iron, which is still a little. It's, it's actually really close. But Hearts of Iron been in development for so long. The press got their hands on it ages ago, and it's just kind of gone back to the drawing board being fiddled around with but Stellaris went from like announced to release so quickly um so I think there was a lot of instances where they're like they want to do these things but they're they're keeping them for for a little bit later down the line and I think trade and espionage have got to be in in that category because uh, the game I don't think it desperately needs them but it would benefit I from do. a lot <laughs> what I mean I just don't want to use the word desperately I think it uh, needs yeah. them but I think the game is also very very good without them but it could only be better I think with a competent trade and espionage system um, so my issue with the wars is not actually the wars themselves but that I get this is sort of a general way that I tend to play non-paradox 4x games is that I'm not declaring war unless I'm sure I'm going to win and <laughs> The AI doesn't declare war on me if it's not sure it's going to win. So every war that I had, like, who fucking cares what my ships have when I have 10k power and they have 6k power? Like, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, not necessarily true. Uh, 
I've I have never seen a significant power difference win a, a significantly weaker power rating thing win in the way that I see like in EU4 I get a good general I get like high morale troops I put them on some mountains I'm going to beat an army that's twice as big as me here it's just economic power will yeah, well, there's just no terrain the is there which is one thing um, the, and this is a problem like I feel like I but I, I don't feel like it's actually a problem in that I have not gotten to a point where the tactics matter and with the ships, I think that's kind of okay, but with the ground forces, like, there are all these cool ideas, all the really neat science fiction stuff goes into your armies. Like, I got so excited when I saw, like, I got a rare technology pop up when I was drawing, and I got to do psi technology. What does psi technology do? 25% increase to ground forces. I don't need more ground forces. I have a fleet of, like, 20 robot armies that wipes the floor with anyone I ever send them at. Like, that's it. There's nothing. There's that's, nothing that's more the needed there. That's the role playing again, though, isn't it? You, you, you know, because yeah, yeah. I've been really bad, like um, the the guys I'm playing right now are all very. They're physically weak. Um, that's one of the traits they have. So one of the first things I did was I invested in in robot warriors for them. But I'm really looking for the Psy warrior uh, tech card to pop up so I can research but, that because I feel but, that that makes sense for them. Even though my ra- my robot warriors are doing perfectly fine. Um, but that's I just the thing, want Psy warriors. I, I don't... I, the game should make me want to do that. Like in Crusader Kings, if you just say, I don't care about role-playing with my vassals, then you're screwed. Like, you have to pay attention to how much they like you and stuff. If you, if in Stellaris you say, I don't care about role-playing my armies and, like, st- putting the xenomorphs and the slave armies and, like, all these cool things that you can do. Clone armies, I got that tech. I never used it because I don't need it. Like, it's... There's there's just not a thing that's encouraging me, and there's no if you, there's no sort of But if you don't need it, tactics. then you just don't pick it because you've already got a superior army. But, but, you, but if this you is, came across but this it is when the cool science fiction one. thing. It's like <laughs> this is like I want the game to encourage me to make a clone army and have the clone re- clones rebel or be taken over, like Star Wars. Like this is the sort of thing that the game says I am trying to do for you. I'm creating a system where all these cool things can happen, and. Instead, it's twenty plus twenty five percent to my ground troops who don't need it. <laughs> uh, so, like, it's it's I need to be well. I don't necessarily need to be pushed to role play, but I need to see that that role play is manifesting in a way that like makes my choice feel like it mattered. Is that different between the choices of of troops that you get in EU four though? I mean, they are ultimately just the, the numbers as well. With even and they've just well, they rely on the historical it, context, but, well, but it's still all about I, context. Yeah, the, those. For one thing, like you have one choice of which army to pick when you're upgrading your army. So you get right. this one thing that says, like, you know, I'm going to have a more defensive army or a more attacking army. And then everything you have after that is that. Whereas this, you have so to go like to each the problem planet is you've got all these different on. choices that don't necessarily yeah. matter. Right? No, I, I totally get that. Yeah. And they're, they're, and as Austin says, you have to attach the things also. Like, so I, so I didn't even have the Psy Warriors because I didn't know you had to attach <laughs> them. Like, that, I think that's if you just, build... Like if I build a robot warrior, that that's still a robot warrior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just so if I want to have hunter killer drones, right? Yeah. I just briefly want to say that I like the tech cards uh, yeah. a lot, yeah. mostly because again I'm coming right off of playing a lot of that Masters of Orion 
uh, early access, which is just like, oh yeah, it's a tech tree. And there's no, it's just like very little flavor. And I'm always going to build the same way every time. Whereas, you know, 35 hours in, there are still early game techs I don't have in Stellaris because the way the tech tree works is that there is uh, every time that you complete a tech, uh, a, a new set of three technologies is sort of drawn from a deck, and then you pick which one that you want to research. Um, and you might that not means see that the other one again next time. Right, and you might not get the other two, exactly. I so totally screwed these... myself because of that. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, me too, totally. But but did I, or did I just really want those red lasers, you know? Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it does make you, it forces you to make kind of meaningful choices about your research rather than just following a very simple track. But there, And there's there's alternative ways to, to get these things to stick around. For instance, you can get you can right. unlock more research. So instead of getting three, you're getting, like, five. And or also, if you, if you study the debris... Exactly. Oh, that's another reason to go to war, because that's kind of how you steal their technology, really. Right, it gets added to your research board permanently. So it's like, yeah. oh, they had these good rail guns. I've studied that. Now we know we should probably look into these really good rail guns. Uh, and I like that system quite a bit. Another neat thing is that they have the ethics um, will like encourage which things you're more likely to get. So if you're right. like a xenophobe yeah. or a collectivist, you're going to get slavery buffs earlier it's than more than if just ethics as well and yeah. i think there's a bunch of things that go into it for instance when i started getting tile blockers on planets i was colonizing yes um then in the research options i started getting more tile blocker research things which is great because i'm like wait i absolutely need these now and i didn't need them before so they would have been pointless and i would have ignored them so it like kind of knows when the when is the right time and then but the best bit, I think, is when you suddenly get a technology that's light years ahead of everything you've got, um, one of the, the purple rare techs, and it's a massive investment, but you never know if you're going to see that again, and you're like, am I going to take the risks and actually research this for 200 months, realizing that this scientist out of my three is not going to be able to do anything else for that whole time, or do I run the risk of never being able to use this special weapon ever? Um, it's cool. The the only problem that I have with it is that society techs, which are basically biology also, are always interesting. Like, I love getting mm. those. Those are the best. Yeah. Physics, like, you'll get some cool stuff in there. Engineering is just, like, plus 10% to a gun, plus 10% or, or, to whatever. Or, like, some special guns that you might have unlocked as well, which are quite Yeah, cool. like, like a, a, occasionally you'll get, like, a big military leap, but it, like... Especially if you're not like totally invested in designing your ships because you're not at war for you know another mm -hmm. dozen years, then it's just like a barrage of here's a slight improvement to your ships, here's a slight improvement to your ships, here's a slight improvement to your ships. <laughs> Meanwhile, so, like totally, totally sentient AI over here. It's it even says yeah, like, dangerous that. on it's it. Red. Like, it's red. It's actually yeah. a red color as well, so you know shit's gonna go down when you research that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the the technologies have a lot of good ideas, but especially engineering could could use some some snipping. That also gets to one of the things I've always been frustrated. Not always, because there have been some exceptions to this, obviously. But a thing that often frustrates me about about 4X games is the like, 
oh, we're all on the same tech tree. Like, obviously, there's only one way that 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 history could go forward. And first, you get gunpowder, and then you get, and then you know, legalism is here every for everybody all the time. And like, it turns out maybe that's not the only way that history could unfold. And I actually really love getting into a conflict with someone that you know, an alien species here that I've never fought with, and then seeing a, a sort of technology in their ships. I didn't even know there was it was even a thing at all. Like pulse torpedoes or something it was yesterday. I was like, I've, I'm deep in the torpedo chain. This is a whole side branch on the torpedo chain that I guess my scientists just weren't smart enough to figure out. <laughs> are, the, were those, are those the like big glowing balls? Yes, I think that's right. I, I or, got... no, those are disruptors, I think. Oh, yeah, There's I, a lot I of got my battleships. There were I got my battleships firing these giant things that were like bigger than the destroyers, and I was oh, like, nice. that's pretty neat. Nice. Um, it kind of makes me think of the, the kind of paradox mantra of it doesn't really matter if these games aren't that balanced because it's not about balance and everything being equal because it and before the excuse was history wasn't balanced and i guess since this is more of a, a futuristic <laughs> fiction they can't use that anymore but space shouldn't be balanced people should, like all these different races spread all across the galaxy and will all of them have like the same bloody laser you need your what? shadows just... and your vorlon Thank you, Rob. Oh, yeah, I don't want this game to be balanced. I think the balance is a huge issue because the AI is not aggressive if it thinks you're too powerful. So I think that there there needs to be more things that are like just will trigger chaos. Yeah, I think that's like it's interesting because it's with EU EU four. Uh, and to an extent, the other games, you have certain historical facts you just sort of have to allow for, right? Like, um, the, 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 uh, the Holy Roman Empire is this huge, profoundly weird construction that, in the right circumstances, in circumstances is totally like the 800-pound gorilla of Europe. And everyone has to factor it in. But that's not something you would ever sort of create from... That's not something that would be created into Forex because you don't have the historical context to generate it, right? Uh, and one of the things that makes EU really sort of work is that it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's yeah, it's a fixed scenario, but it's a fixed scenario that can, it can go so many different ways, right? Like, yeah, this, the starts aren't identical. When the game starts, like, France is poised to become a superpower. Uh, so is Austria. Uh, Russia can go a couple different ways, but they can get really out of hand. But that makes for really interesting challenges uh, to sort of work around the margins of these empires and maybe hopefully like one day undercut them. And that creates a lot of variety that you actually lose out on when you sort of go to the 4X model of like, well, most everyone's starting from a, a mostly blank slate, right? They're, they're taking different ethics or whatever with them to the stars, but you know, they're, they're starting from, from similar positions. And I, and I did sort of, I, I did sort of miss that again, going to that, that feeling of historical uh, momentum that, that of, of historical movement. Uh, as we wind this down, Sean, you've been, you've been a little quiet. Hi. <laughs> and I kind of want to like hear from you, like, where were you? Where were you at with the forex? Where, where were you at with the space forex? Like, is this is this your new paradox jam? Are you disappointed? Like, you know, I, I think we know where Rowan stands. Uh, I'm, I'm I mean, curious we have where, a rough idea. Uh, I'm no, curious like, where the game king of EU four uh, stands. You know, I, I I think part of what happened for me early early on 
is that I came to terms with what this game really seems to want to be, which is much more sort of a mechanical management game at times. And, and you know, here's I, I actually really enjoy the game, and and I have all these things I would like to see improved, and 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 I can't argue that there are definitely uh, some you know just some elements from traditional paradox games and the kind of preconceived notions we that even you know certainly I build from that that don't exist here um but the actual the actual act of doing the things in the game is fun to me right the building the ships is fun the manage for me the managing the the planets and even i mean even those sort of uh fiddly things i actually i i kind of dig that i want to go through the details i want to kind of actually be the guy who equips my guys and like i i get i get I'm the person who is ruining Rowan's game in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, because I'm I like, like oh, that. yeah, that I just sounds... only want to do it once or twice. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's the thing I don't know. I don't know where I'll be in 200 hours, 500 hours, however long. Like, does that sustain itself or does it not? But for now, um, you're sorting your sock collection and loving it. That's the thing. That is exactly... It's, so, I mean, and, and it, that might be a little bit why I'm quiet here, because all the things that really appeal to me about this game aren't really the things we're talking about, because we're talking a lot about concepts of what is and what identifies a paradox game and what identifies role-playing and what identifies all these things. And then when I go play Stellaris immediately after the show is over, I'm the, like, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm like, I, I want to go build this, this oh, and now I'm going to build this. I'm almost, it's funny because to some degree, I'm almost disappointed about the sector system because I'm like, oh, I wanted to keep working on no, those. No, this is, uh, this is my problem. <laughs> the sectors encourage you you to avoid the parts of the game that actually work yes. the planetary building stuff is cool but i don't i don't i find myself not colonizing planets because then i have to put planets i'm not done with into sectors sure but and, and, and that's I not think, a good motive i think the 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 one comment that sort of crystallized everything for me and you said it earlier, Rowan, I think uh, Fraser was talking about going and attacking somewhere so you could get to the other side of their, you know, empire or whatever. And you're like, well, why do you want to go over there? What What are you expecting to find? And the answer for me is because I just want to go over there. I mean, it's just like I I, I just just to do it just because it's over there. It, I, can't I was get there the, once, my sweet summer child. I, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Am I at 100, 200 hours going to be like that? I think I don't know. I think I might be. I, I'm a little bit like a cat, like put me on whatever side of the door. And I'm just like, OK, I got to go over. It doesn't matter how many times I go in and out of that door. I always want to be on the other side of that door. Um <laughs> So I I don't know I'm really enjoying it but I feel I feel like to some degree I'm just enjoying it in a superficial way like I'm just enjoying it in the the kind of mechanical sense um I I I wonder how I will be in 100 hours whether I feel like okay great I got I got all that out of my system now I need this thing to start throwing stuff at me I need it to start feeding me something to operate from instead of me just kind of plowing through the systems and enjoying them on a very face value level. I went and started an EU4 game last night and I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy with it. I'm happy EU4 will always be there for me. Like that's the nice thing is like, what's the worst thing that happens? I go play EU4. Like my, my paradox buddies, like I don't hate you guys. I love your other games. I think this one needs work. Um, 
And unlike certain other Rome 2 podcasts, like, I think that the work can be done to make wow. this, this happen. Jesus. Wow. Like, I think, I think that unlike Rome 2, this is a very fixable game. So um, you think this is like a good foundation for something to come forward, but also you don't want to live in a foundation alone? Right. Well, I think if I were like talking, if okay. I were talking to someone from Paradox right now, then I would say, you know, I think you guys played this way too much multiplayer and not enough single player. I think that there is the total lack of uh, momentum in a single player game is a huge issue. I and really want to play this multiplayer because, yeah, like, so I think good. this would be, yeah. I think this would be significantly better. <laughs> I, I but we to, all have the game. So. I need, I need time, Rob. There's I just no, there's just no solution. I can't think of a possible way to <laughs> fix this. Oh, it's well. a shame, um, really. It's a it shame. Is. And the other thing is that, like, there are really great ideas here. Maybe you need to like do pull a Sid Meier and double everything so that all of those ethics, all of those AI aggressions, all of those things that could create a cool story, do it way more often. Then I think this game can work. But right now, I I'm just find myself not entertained by it and that makes me sad austin when we talked about our forex on we you were sad well, you're very sad are are you still sad are you happy I'm not. i i'm i'm you know i i'm always going to be a little sad no matter what rob <laughs> uh, that's just the dude i am and, and will be forever because i will always think uh, but what if this thing did this a little bit better? Or what if it did that a little bit better? Or I'll spend 30 hours with a thing and thinking that I, that I really love what it has to say about the human condition, only to find that actually it actually has kind of weird feelings on my, you know, immigration or something. Because that is the terrible person I am. But I'm really enjoying Stellaris so far. And it is, again, for me, it ends up being, it ends up being, and maybe this is a backhanded compliment, but when I think about the field of Space 4X games out there right now, I would like to play one of those every now and then. I'm really glad I have Stellaris uh, to choose from and not just the ones that existed you know, over the past couple of, of years, that, that all of which did nothing for me, um, or, or at least very little. Uh, I guess saying it's the best of a set of bad things is, is again, kind of an insult, but that's not what I mean. Like I, I really do believe that it has the potential to develop into something fantastic, and what's already here has been really satisfying for me uh, kind of in the exact way that Sean is talking about. Like, it's just fun moment to moment. And uh, probably more than most other players, I'm really willing to meet a game halfway. You know, Rob, I talked to you on, on Idle Weekend not too long ago about how I played all, almost all of Watch Dogs without killing anyone. Uh, so, like, Including I'm yourself, player. which is an accomplishment. Playing uh, somehow, I did not end my own life while playing Watch Dogs. Um, <laughs> a bad game. Uh, unlike Stellaris, which I think is a pretty good game that could get way better with, with the right uh, attention. Fraser? I, at least Paradox is good at giving attention. That is true. True. We will have a dozen expansions kind by of their this time model. next year. Yeah. 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 I'm going to buy so much fucking DLC for this game. It's such a <laughs> mistake. I'm going to buy so many alien faces I'm never going to see. Uh. Fraser, so you, you've had... I'm, You've had a unique experience among us. Uh, I have, yeah. So where have you ended up with this game? So, um, you know, yeah, obviously the, the multiplayer has had an impact. 
uh, on on what I think of the game. Uh, but I think that's that's kind of reasonable nowadays because th- this is something that Paradox is really trying to get more people into is playing their games in multiplayer. And and so far, uh, they're all actually pretty great multiplayer games. And Stellaris feels even more like one that has had kind of multiplayer effort put into it. However. In single player, it is still, in my opinion, a, a fantastic game. Uh, I it sort of it reminds me of how I felt not that long ago when I you know was playing uh, Endless Legend. Um, it's still obviously a four X game, and it, it tickles the part of my brain that is obsessed with these kinds of games. But it manages to surprise me at almost every turn. Um, and and the one thing that I really love, and it, it was the thing that really made me obsessed with with Endless Legend for a while, is the context. It's the narrative uh, of the universe. Um, although it's slight, it, it's more open-ended uh, in Stellaris. You're more kind of pushed into creating your own narrative rather than following a sort of uh, a, a detailed quest chain. Uh, but I think I, I put it up right up there with, with Distant World because they're dramatically different 4X games and they appeal to different sides of my personality. Um, I think Stellaris is it's uh, got a lot less of that automa- um, like automation that I love mm-hmm. in Distant Worlds, where you can actually just play as a single scout ship if you really want to. Um, and you can just really dig into the game. Whereas I think with Stellaris, I'm more looking at the bigger picture right from, from the get-go. But yeah, I'm, I want to play so much more. I'm very upset that I know... Once I uh, once I get my review published, the amount of time that I can actually spend on the game is significantly diminished because I can't call it work. Um, right there with you. That is like the dilemma <laughs> of being a games reviewer, isn't it? Because I'm just finding myself, even you know, if I'm like if I'm watching a bit of telly and I'm I'm a you know a bit bored or something like that, but I'm too lazy to get off the sofa. I just start playing Stellaris on my laptop, and before I realized that, I've switched the TV off. I've actually gotten off the sofa. I've gone to my computer to continue the game in a in a more a proper setting with a big desk where I feel like I'm actually a galactic dictator, so I can <laughs> so I can hit the desk and shout at things. Um, I like so that Stellaris is helping you get your life together. It's, it's like, <laughs> you're gonna be telling this. You're gonna be telling this like in in, in NA meetings at some point, and being <laughs> like and being like. So then I was playing Stellaris, and I realized it doesn't have to be like this. I could be at a desk wearing a suit, being a <laughs> I am a xenophile. I need to admit that. <laughs> but it just it. It's a game that sort of captures both. But both my attention because it just it it sinks its claws into me and I, I I just forget about the outside world. But also my imagination. I really think the fiction that that Paradox have created is a is a brilliant one. Um, the actual the event chains and the quests are things that I desperately want to explore. When I find that I've got a quest that's in some alien border, like in some alien empire halfway across the galaxy that I can't get to unless I declare war on them, then I'm going to be like, okay, I'll declare war on them just so I can continue this this mission, this quest, because I want to know what the heck's up with the Cybrax or whatever they're called, or I want to expand my beautiful galactic zoo filled with my <laughs> aliens and with weird tentacles and things coming out of their heads. Um, one thing that 
even though I have complained, I should probably say is that like I've played a lot of this game. It is good at holding attention. Like I have quit out of frustration and boredom, but that's usually at the end of like a five hour session. Um, and like by by a simple pragmatic sort of, do you like a game that you have played a lot? Like I have played this game a lot. It is very easy to play a lot of. Um, I frustrates the hell out of me but there are lots of games that frustrate the hell out of me that i don't play a lot so right it helps that it looks nice and uh, has an excellent soundtrack which we haven't really touched on but i think it's worth briefly mentioning excellent soundtrack. oh yeah definitely needs to be more of it though man like i burned yeah. out on that soundtrack within like a few hours like yep all right this is the fourth time this theme has come up i'm done <laughs> well it's uh, time good, to put on the babylon news. 5 music Good news, uh, there will DLC. definitely be, yeah, the, the sounds or the songs of the Shanturi con- whatever conglomerate or whatever the, the name <laughs> of their, pre- it'll be prestigiously generated soundtrack names because it's not real history. It's all like zither music. <laughs> yeah. The chants of the Saurian Mutatis. I need, I need Stellaris Metal, Stellaris Metalis. Christmas songs, like, like the, you know, music, music from Life Day. Yes. Yeah. So, oh God. <laughs> Sitting underneath the Christmas spores. So <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I, I I am going to completely cop out and say I I don't fully know what I make of this game yet. Uh, I don't think I've I like the the problem is right now I've played enough of the game to thoroughly agree with everybody. Like uh-huh. <laughs> I have definitely been there with with Rowan, like kind of having that existential moment of like, but why be a space empire? And, like, not having a good answer to that. Like, which has been a problem with me in the 4X genre for a while, actually, is, like, there are some games where I'm, like, automatically sort of buying into the com- competition. Like, yeah, of course I want to win this game. Of course I want to, like, build, like, uh, of course I want to build research stations and, 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 and discover new stuff so I, can, so I can position myself for, like, the... So you the, can win. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, of course, there's, there's value in that. But then there are games, a lot, an increasing number of 4X games where I'm, like, yeah, but who really gives a shit like yeah. like so so i'm getting more research per turn to to get another discovery i don't i don't really care uh sometimes stellaris i feel the same way about the sort of empire i'm building it's again it's it's it's, it's an expanding blob with with no real discernible like character to it unless i start really trying to aggressively create a character for myself right like uh, i guess what i'm xenophobic so i should probably play more xenophobic um so I mean I, I totally like I, 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 I totally understand sort of the um like directionlessness that, that can sometimes crop up in a game of Stellaris and the and, and the and the weird lulls that happen in between like waves of expansion and then the point in the game where you start really having to interact with other empires. Uh where like the, I've had sessions where like two, three hours go by and I've colonized a few more planets and just sort of waited on research to finish because there's nothing there's nothing much going on. Uh make it six hours, make it eight, make yeah. it twenty. <laughs> on the other hand, like there's <laughs> there's this is a much easier game to play for me than a lot of Space 4Xs. And a lot of the stories that I hear you telling Austin and, and you telling Fraser, like, I'm I'm really excited by, I haven't had as many uh, cool, like, narrative twists unfold, but I'm I'm sort of eager to see more of them. Uh, I, had, I had fun, like, seeing the different ways that technology could develop and the weird different ways that 
races can travel among the stars and how that affected the idea of a galactic front line uh, in, in weird and interesting ways. So I'm, I'm thoroughly conflicted about this game. Uh, it's not... I think my big problem with it is it's not really like a classic Paradox game parachuting into the forex the space forex genre to like rescue it and like impart all that good crunchy paradox character instead it feels a lot like a paradox game that's sort of been stripped down by the necessity of being a space forex genre game and that's a little disappointing to me uh but this is the first outing for this game it took for European Universalises to become a masterpiece. Uh, I, I say give them a little time. Uh, in the meantime, I'm, I'm, I'm having a decent time with what we've got. Only two CKs, though, so, you know, <laughs> they're getting faster. <laughs> Counts in Goku is like a 1.5, all right? <laughs> that's yeah. fair. That's fair. And I guess, uh, you know, Rome, Rome as well. Yeah, it's Rome. kind of practice. Yeah, yeah so four yeah, games. Okay. Four so, games so for Four games. Four games. Oh, no. I, oh, no. Oh, shit. It'll be a we decade a until we're happy with Stellaris. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I feel like four expansions, like, you trade, espionage increase like internal politics and make diplomacy more robust and you've got like the best space for it and then with that fifth and sixth yeah, expansion I... you can start creating subsystems that are like really difficult right. to read and like jam new <laughs> menus in there oh, that'd be great <laughs> uh so yeah we're super excited to see how stellaris evolves um but yeah i i think it's not a consensus game by any means, uh, which which has certainly made for a more interesting show and a more interesting. That's exciting! It's so exciting to have one of these where it's not just like, oh yeah, it's a bad one of those. Like, yeah. I, I'm it, this is where I'd rather be. I'm kind of glad that Rowan wasn't really mean to me this time, though. <laughs> it was Rob who said it was mean to you. What? I, I just laughed. Like, you're both I pretty wasn't hot. mean. You're both pretty uh, seven hot. phrases. Oh no, 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 that was Rome. Yeah, no, no, I totally, I, I totally had to slap him around. Uh, yeah, but, you know, spare the rod. Anyway. <laughs> Listen, there's supposed to be some some early version of Endless Space 2 later this year. Uh, maybe we'll all have to, to reconvene in some form to, to talk Space well, 4X again. I think first we're going to have to talk about Endless Legend. Uh, uh, we are going to need to revisit we, that. We are going to need point. to revisit that. And I'm especially now keen to revisit that in the wake of discussing uh, this game. Because, sure. again, some of the things we brought up about this game, sort of lack of eventfulness and character i think uh, endless legend still has done a remarkable job uh separating itself from the rest of the forex genre but that will do it for our discussion of stellaris uh my thanks to our panel for uh joining me for such a vigorous and, and robust debate uh and my my uh very great thanks to our producer michael hermes for cutting together this monster of a podcast uh, especially given some production glitches that have secretly happened on my end that will make it <laughs> make his job even more exciting. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, no, hey, everything's fine. It's exciting. Everything's fine. Uh, it's just going to be a little fussier. It's just a little airborne. Yeah, it's still good. It's still good. Uh, as always, you can discuss this episode on the Idle Thumbs forums at idlethumbs.net. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs network. Uh, and you can learn more about the show by going to threemovesahead.net. Uh, until next week, for Austin Walker, Fraser Brown, Rowan Kaiser, and Sean Sands, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. <laughs>